This morning, my message I titled, The God Who Forgives. Our God is an amazing God, and our God is a God that forgives. He forgives those who repent and those who call on His name. And if I could give my message a subtitle today, it would be, Our God Reigns. Because after I prepared this, I thought, man, I should have titled it, Our God Reigns. So, well, I'll just make it a subtitle. The God who forgives and our God reigns. He does reign on high and He reigns supremely. So before I begin this morning, do I have a volunteer to open us in prayer today? And Justin would get the mic. Someone volunteer to pray. I have a volunteer back here. Justin, if you would grab the mic and John will pray for us. Little technical difficulties here. For the others to hear. So, John. If you would just come up front, you'll be closer to that mic and pray, and you guys can just get back. And That's okay. We didn't think to check the batteries in that. And you'll be close to that mic, and that'll pick it up. Heavenly Father, Lord, we beseech you today to listen to our prayer. Lord, you are a loving God. We love you, but Lord, we are, we are people who, who do astray. And Lord, we know that you do forgive, and we... We want to be sure that today you put on us this message that Ron has about this yes, subject, Jesus. Lord, that we listen intently and that we, we trust in your word, Lord, and that you put it in our heads and our hearts that we may forever live your life through Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you, John. So Rosanna, when I talked to her the week before this past week that we're in, she said, do you happen to have bulletin information and title and all that for the following week? That way she could get the bulletins made up and they could at least get some of the stuff for the, on the monitor. And I said, well, let me come up with something real quick. So I just searched. I found this scripture. So then I had to make a message work around the scripture, right? Amen. Psalm 99, verses 1 through 9. And you know, I believe that there's a message in every chapter, every verse of the Bible, there's a message there because it's God's love and relationship revealed to man and you know, through the Word. So hear the Word of the Lord. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion and He is high above all the peoples. Let them praise Your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity. 
You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among His priests and Samuel was among those who called upon His name. They called upon the Lord and He answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept His testimonies and the ordinances He gave them. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives. So he's speaking to the children of Israel, but especially to Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. He says, You were to them the God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. So I should make sure that I begin with the most important thing, that we know that our God is holy. He is a holy God. He is worthy of praise. He is awesome. He is worthy that we worship at His footstool because He is a holy God. We must make sure that we don't try to bring God down to our level because He is a holy God. To reign means to ascend the throne. It means to ascend to a royal position. It is one who possesses and exercises sovereign power and authority. You know, we were speaking last Sabbath in Sabbath school about King David and how he had Uriah put to death. When the king gives an order, it happens. Whether it was a good thing or not, when the king exercises his authority, it is going to happen. We as believers, true believers, believe that God reigns. We believe that God is on His throne in glory. And I believe that Jesus is at His right hand. Today, even right now as we speak, our God reigns on His throne. He reigns, has sovereign power. He is sovereign over all of creation. And He has all power and authority. And the Word tells us He has given that authority to Jesus Christ. So we are to surrender to Him. We are to become His bondservants. That is what we are called to do. Our passage reveals the, the special relationship that God has with Israel. And you know, there were times where that was a fearful thing to behold. It was a fearful thing, yet they were very blessed to be the nation that God chose to reveal Himself to the rest of the world. You know, one of the things that the Scripture reveals that there were times where God would actually meet with them. He would meet with the children of Israel. And one of those meeting places that spoke of during that was the mercy seat. You know, in the early times in, of Israel's existence, when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, I know that you all have read that, and you know they wandered in the wilderness, they had what they called what we know of as the tabernacle. And the best way to describe the tabernacle is it was a portable temple. It was a tent-like temple that had poles and curtains and it was made uh, to God's uh, detailed instructions. I think it was a glorious thing to behold. Uh, I know that you know, there, will be, there will be no temple because God will be with us in, the, in heaven in the New Jerusalem. But I know that the temple was grand and glorious. There was a lot of gold there. But the tabernacle also was very special and it had different, different rooms and different compartments. One was the most holy place. Amen. And within that most holy place was the mercy seat. 
So I'm going to turn to Exodus. You're not going to have the extra scripture today. Exodus 25, I should have given that to you beforehand so you could look it up while I was doing all that talking. But within that most holy place, I already told you there was a mercy seat, and I believe that to be the most important piece of furniture in the entire tabernacle, in the entire temple. That mercy seat was the most important piece of furniture there. And let me read from Exodus for you, and you'll understand why. It says, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Verse 17, chapter 25, verse 17 through 22, I'm sorry. And you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. So it's rectangular. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub on one end and the other cherub on the other end. So each end of the mercy seat has a cherub on it. You shall make the cherub at the two ends of one piece with the mercy seat. I'm going to pause there. When I, when I read that, this is all fashioned out of gold, the mercy seat, the cherub. It's all fashioned out of one piece. And I think, how amazing. They didn't have the tools that we have today. And they fashioned this thing. God gave them the wisdom, gave them the knowledge to be able to make these, this amazing thing. And the cherubs shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another. The faces of the cherub, cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. So the cherub, cherubim were facing each other, and their wings was outstretched up over the mercy seat. So it's kind of like making an arch above the mercy seat. Cherub, we know, is the singular form of cherubim, which is the... Uh, plural of angels. It's an angelic figure that they were to carve, or make, not carve, but to make out of gold. Now, verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you. Did you catch that? And there, between the cherub on the mercy seat, there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. That's why it's the most important piece of furniture, because it was there that God would meet with them, that He would talk with them, speak to them, give them instructions. You know, there's something fearful and awesome about all of these verses from Psalms 99. When it says He is holy, He is high above the people, the Lord is great, He loves justice. It said, let the people tremble. Do you remember, have you ever ever read the story or the account where God was on Mount Sinai and the children were at the bottom at the foot of the mountain? They were afraid to go near because of the rumbling and the lightning and just, you know, the earthquake because of the presence of God on that mountain because He is an awesome God. To be in His presence is a fearful thing. Amen. Moses said that he even trembled. But we know that he was... That's why I chose Moses this morning. as my favorite character, right? He was brave enough to go up the mountain, but it still says he trembled. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. So I have to remember to pause this morning So if you're looking that up. For you have not come to the mountain 
that may be touched and that burned with fire into the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that these words should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched a mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Brave Moses even said, I am exceedingly afraid and I am trembling because of the presence of Almighty God. He is a holy God, fearful to be honored, to be, rev- be revered. These verses in Hebrew paint a very clear picture of the Old Testament way of approaching God. That even Moses, Moses who was brave enough, as I said, to go up the mountain, Moses who was brave enough to approach the burning bush, but he still trembled in the presence of God. My friends, praise the Lord that the New Testament ushers in a new way of approaching God. There's a new way that God dwells with men and women today. So I'm going to continue in Hebrews chapter 12 again, verses 22. Pick right up where we left off. I should have told you to leave that open, shouldn't I? (laughs) Hebrews 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. So there is a new way to come to God, and it is through Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. I'm going to follow that up with Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, I had to think about that word, as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. My friends, there is a connection between the passage in Romans about the propitiation and with the Greek word, mercy seat. The Greek translation, let's see if I can get this straight, the Hebrew word for mercy seat is kapurit, but the Greek word, translated is halosterion and it usually gets translated propitiation in the new testament do you see the connection there mercy seat is actually propitiation 
Propitiation only occurs a few times in the New Testament. But Christ is the acceptable, wrath-satisfying sacrifice on our behalf. Amen. That's a mouthful. But Jesus Christ is the wrath-satisfying sacrifice on our behalf. He is our propitiation. He is our mercy seat. There is the connection. There's another connection, my friends, that makes us even greater. Another connection in the New Testament connects Exodus with the New Testament. And it's found in John chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. But Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping. We know why she is weeping. They had crucified her Lord, right? And she wept. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. So back in Exodus, we had two cherubim, one at each end of the mercy seat. In the New Testament, we had one at the feet and one at the head of where Jesus laid. Our propitiation, which is mercy seat. Do you see the connection there? Amen. It's very clear, isn't it? Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. The mercy seat was what? Where God would meet with His people. Jesus Christ is our propitiation, our mercy seat, where God meets with His people. God desires to meet with. God desires to dwell with His people. And the blood of the spotless Lamb is the only means that this is possible today. The only means. So the mercy seat was a prefigure of Christ, the Christ to come. Christ did come. He sacrificed His life and He was raised from the dead. My friends, make no mistake, this is a historical reality. The tabernacle was real. The Ark of the Covenant, my friends, was real. The mercy seat was real. The cross was real. The empty tomb was real. Mary who stood down and looked in was real. The angel sitting where Christ was laying was real. Christ is our mercy seat. In and through Christ, God meets us. Isaiah 57, 14-20. And this is the Good News Translation. I don't think that I have ever used this in my preaching. The Lord says, Let my people return to me. Remove every obstacle from their path. I thought that is awesome. Remove every obstacle from their path. My friends, if if you're listening today, if you're here today, if you're watching uh, on the internet, remove every obstacle from your path that would deter you from coming to God. There is nothing that should keep you from coming to God. Nothing in this world so important that should keep you from coming to God. Remove every obstacle and come to God because He wants to meet with you. It says, build the road and make it ready. He says, I am the high and holy God who lives forever. I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with people who who are humble and repentant. Catch that. He says, but I also live with people who are humble and repentant. 
so that I can restore their confidence and hope. He says, I gave my people life and I will not continue to accuse them or be angry with them forever. Hallelujah! That He chose not to be angry with us forever. He says, I was angry with them because of their sin and greed. And so I punished them and abandoned them. But they were stubborn and kept on going their own way. He says, I have seen how they had acted, but I will heal them and I will lead them and I will help them and I will comfort those who mourn. Praise be to God. This is Isaiah, Old Testament. Let my people return. Let my people return. He says, I offer peace to all. Isn't that good news? I offer peace to all, both near and far. I will heal my people, but evil people are like the restless sea, whose waves never stop rolling in and bringing forth muck. There is no safety for sinners. But friends, there is safety for those who humble themselves and repent. And that safety is Jesus Christ. Verse 8 from Psalm said, You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. It's amazing when you read that entire verse. It's saying that even though God took vengeance on their deeds, they still viewed Him as the God who forgives. So, since I chose Moses because he's my favorite, right? I know it spoke of Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. But let's look to Moses. There's Moses. Didn't get to enter, enter the promised land. And I'm going to read that scripture. I've got extra scripture that I'm pointed out here this morning. I'm going to turn to Numbers chapter 20, verse 7 through 12. Numbers 20, 7 through 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. So I will say that I think Moses struggled at times with a little bit of anger. He did. Now hear me. Hear me. You rebels, you. Must we... Now there's another problem there. He says, Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly in the congregation, and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and said, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. My friends, there was another occasion where Moses struck the rock and brought water out. This is the second time. The first time God said to Moses, gather the assembly together. So, my friends, he's not saying gather the entire nation of Israel together because there was over two million of them. He's saying gather together the leaders, gather the elders, bring them and do this before them. Why would he do that? As a witness 
as a witness to the nation God's mighty power and His authority. So the first time God said, strike the, strike the rock, strike the rock and I will bring water out of the rock. But this time God says, speak to the rock. God did not tell him to strike the rock. He said, speak to it. But he struck the rock. And some might say, that seems like such a harsh punishment. I mean, he put up with these people in the wilderness for 40 years. My goodness. Why did he have to do this in the first place? Because the children grumbled to Moses. I, would, I should have done a study. I wonder how many times the children of Israel said, why have you brought us out into this wilderness that we would die? We would have been better off in Egypt. I know that they said that numerous times. So Moses probably thought, I am so tired of dealing with these people. They've cried out to me. They cried out to me. I'm, I'm just, I'm fed up with them. So he strikes the rock. And I know that seems like a harsh punishment. But remember, the congregation was there. The elders were there. It was a witness. He had the opportunity to do exactly what God instructed him to do and speak to that rock and bear witness of his great faith before the elders. My friends, how important is our witness, right? It's what we were talking about this morning. How important is our witness that we make people better? How much better they would have been? Now I'm going to turn to my second additional scripture in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They ate the spiritual food. They all drank that same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock, my friends, was Christ. My friends, it's speaking of the rock. It's speaking of the rock. The rock, if you will receive it, that rock, and there is a reason why God told him to speak to it the second time. The first time He told him to strike the rock. My friends, what did they do with Christ? They beat Him and they nailed Him to the cross. Once and for all. Do you get that? Receive that? Christ died once and for all. That's why He told him to speak to the rock the second time. Because we are to speak to Christ and ask for forgiveness. We are to speak and repent. We are to speak and receive and believe by faith. We are not to crucify Him again. So you see, He was not to strike the rock, not to crucify the rock the second time, but to speak to it. Isn't that awesome? Yes, it is. Speak to the rock because he has already died. He is already. And he, he brings forth that abundant water, right? Come to that living well and never thirst again. Amen? The Hebrew word for forgiveness as used in Psalms is nasa. And it means to bear. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And in John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, 
full of grace and truth, full of forgiveness, our God who forgives. Full of grace and full of truth. This is the great mystery, friends, that our God is willing to forgive. So I'll ask you the question, everyone who is hearing this, is He to you the God who forgives? Is He to you? Do you look to God as the God who forgives? Have you humbled yourself? Have you bowed before the footstool of God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you asked for forgiveness of your sins? From the one who longs to forgive you and the one who longs to dwell with you. If you have not, I urge you to do so. Make Him to you the God who forgives. As with Moses, there is consequences to sins, but He is still the God who forgives. He is still the God who loves you and cares for you and wants to dwell with you. I found an article. It was from the Christian leader. And Don Ratzliff retells the story from Ernest Gordon's miracle on the River Kaya. It says the Scottish soldiers, forced by their Japanese captors to labor on a jungle railroad, had degenerated to barbarous behavior. But one afternoon, something happened. At one of the checkpoints, a shovel was missing. The officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel shovel be produced, or else. When nobody in the squadron budged, the officer got out his gun and threatened to kill all of them on the spot. And it was obvious the officer meant what he said he would do. Finally, one man stepped forward. The officer put away his gun picked up a shovel, and beat the man to death. When it was over, the survivors picked up the bloody corpse and carried it with them to the second tool check. Strange thing happened. This time, there was no shovel missing. Indeed, there had been a miscount at the first checkpoint. The word spread like wildfire through the whole camp that an innocent man had been willing to die to save others. The innocent had a profound, the incident had a profound effect. The men began to treat each other like brothers. And when the victorious allies swept in, the survivors, by this time human skeletons, lined up in front of their captors. And instead of attacking their captors, insisted, no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. Forgiveness, friends. Jesus' sacrificial love has the power to transform all who speak to Him, who speak to Him and ask for forgiveness. Ephesians 3, 14-19 For this is the reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. My friends, Christ wants to dwell with us today. 
And that place that He dwells today is not that mercy seat of old, but it's right here. Amen. It's right here between, his, between these ribs, if you will, in the hearts of men. He forgives. He forgives. He wants and longs to forgive. But we have to speak to Him. Isaiah said, I also live with people who are humble and repent. That's the call today, to be humble and repent and call out to Jesus. And he says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we but speak to Him. Amen?